Welcome to the Clone Saga Chronicles uh, 2.0 feed for, from SpideyDude.com. If you're listening to one of these older episodes, you'll hear references to our Podomatic website and a voicemail number, which is now defunct. So if you're a new listener who just found this uh, podcast, pay no mind to the links that we give out, like CloneSagaChronicles.Podomatic.com or a voicemail number. Enjoy this classic episode of Clone Saga Chronicles. Whoa! I don't think I even want to hear your story. All of you must hear the Scarlet Spider story. My name is Ben Riley. I'm related to this reality's Peter Parker. How? I'm his clone. Or maybe he's my clone. We're not sure. I'm the real Spider-Man. I don't know what kind of mind game this is, but I'm the real Spider-Man. The real Peter Parker. You see? I thought I was that clone. I tried to stay out of Peter's life by taking on a new identity. Dyed my hair, changed my name to Ben Riley. When I became a costume hero of the Scarlet Spider, it really made him angry. But the next big blow came from Dr. Kurt Connors. He discovered that, according to our genetic structures, it might be Peter who was the clone, not me. That news pushed Peter Parker over the edge. Now he hated me with a passion. This is starting to sound like a bad comic book plot. It gets worse. Why didn't you just tell me I was a clone? The cloning process has proven unstable. You're coming apart. Greetings and salutations. Happy 2010, everyone. I'm Zach Joyner, and this is the Clone Saga Chronicles podcast. Joining me once again is Joshua Lappin-Bertoni, who is the leading contributor and editor of the podcast. Say hello, sir. Hey, Along with him in this episode is Gerard Delatour, whose recent op-ed is up on Spidey.com. He's also the regular reviewer for Spidey.com. Yo. Not a whole lot of news this month, but there was one bit, tiny bit of information that was uh, that was released to us over the break. It has to deal with the uh, Web of Spider-Man title. It's uh, there will be a feature in uh, in the uh, Spy- Web of Spider-Man title in March, written by John Mardimateus, ta- where it takes place during Ben Riley's quote-unquote lost years. So, uh, guys, has Marvel heard our pleas? I'm so tired of opening up a comic solicitation and saying because you demanded it, and then it's something like jackpot miniseries. It's like, well, wait a second, who demanded this? And for once, it's like a rare feeling that you actually ask a comic book company for something. And they give you exactly that. And we didn't have to wait, like, ten years or anything. Well, technically, we had to wait ten years. But from when we first proposed this, like, what, you know, a month or two ago, it was announced very shortly thereafter. That's awesome. I mean, we didn't even have to campaign as hard as we thought we were going to. So, good job, Marvel. I only hope that this becomes a regular feature, and that's going to be up to us. We're going to have to buy the book. And we're going to, all of us, we're going to have to, you know, write and email Marvel saying that we enjoyed the Ben Riley backup, and maybe we'll be seeing more like this. Maybe even a regular feature in web. This is a group <gasps> start. Yeah, I would love a regular feature, but we've only got the March solicit, so we only know for a fact it's going to be in issue, uh, whatever the hell issue that is. <laughs> number six. I think it's like number six, yeah. So number six, um, also, uh, that'll be the end of uh, the... The, it's been a pretty good year for the clone fans. Uh, 2009 was pretty pretty favorable to us. We got first mention of clones in Amazing Spider-Man. Now, granted, it wasn't a great arc, but uh, uh, we at least got a mention and a wink and a nod, uh, or three. Uh, we also got uh, the Clone Saga miniseries, which we'll be, we'll be continuing to review. And um, you know, uh, we're gonna we have this right after the Clone Saga mini ends. We get this uh, Ben Riley. Bit. And uh, we also had the Kane bit as well. I almost forgot about that in one of the Spider-Man to launch the title. So pretty good, uh, pretty good start. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll have some more stuff here in 2010, the start of a new decade. With that out of the way, guys, um, let's get started on the reviews. For Tony, give us the rundown of the last two chapters of Web of Life. Well, what has gone before, for those of you who weren't with us last podcast, and if you weren't, shame on you, but that's okay. We're a very forgiving uh, bunch of people. The Grim Hunter, he has his revenge quest for Spider-Man because he thinks that Spider-Man killed his father, Craven the Hunter, uh, when he kind of just shot himself in the head, or 
Is that it, or he just blames him for his death? I don't know if he thinks he murdered him. Anyway, these Kravenoffs are crazy. So, either way, he's after Spider-Man, and he actually tracked down the Scarlet Spider when he was having a Superman the Movie moment with Betty Brands. And he's like, you're Spider-Man. Oh, wait, no, you're not. Bye. And Ben's like, no, I must find Grin Hunter before he hurts Peter. So, that's kind of uh, where we start off with now in Web of Spider-Man. A homeless woman is being robbed and becomes particularly upset when the thugs take a photo she has of her daughter. Kane shows up and saves her and is particularly brutal with these thugs. But, you know, he's still got to prove that he's a badass and everything. And when the woman's like, thank you, thank you, it's like, oh, oh, got to be badass. He stomps on the woman's photo, ruining it, and then walks away because he's Kane and he's like that. Scarlet Spider is still trying to get to Peter's apartment before the Grim Hunter does, because the Grim Hunter is tracking Spider-Man down by his scent. Uh, Ben, while he's on his way, there's a taxi cab that's about to crash, so Scarlet Spider averts the crash, saving the people. Back to the Craven Estate, uh, the Grim Hunter's nanny, who I couldn't figure out what else to call him last issue, is watching while a naked Grim Hunter meditates, and we get some monologue about, wow, you know, this guy's kind of insane a little bit. Uh, yeah. Really wish I would have raised him better and that he wasn't crazy. So, Grim Hunter, he's about to prepare for the hunt. We cut to Jacob Raven, who's taking his sweet time with this whole murder mystery. He's running the fingerprints of the killer he's been following while discussing the methods and the mark that the killer leaves on his victims. He's like, I'm going to pay that man a visit. Dun, dun, dun. So, Scarlet Spider has finally arrived outside the Parker apartment and waits for the Grim Hunter. As Kane watches in the shadows. But, for the first time, we actually get Kane uh, stepping out of the shadows and doing some actual, you know, interacting. He confronts the Scarlet Spider, and the dialogue uh, indicates that they are clearly familiar with each other. And Ben is surprised to learn that Kane knows who he is under the mask. Uh, so he uses his fingers and impact webbing, since that did such, you know, so good against Venom. And it doesn't do very much to subdue Kane. Kane knocks Ben out and goes after the Grim Hunter, who's arrived at the Parker home. Ben tries to go after them after briefly regaining consciousness, but he passes out again under the strain. And our story continues into No Adjective Spider-Man, where Kane and the Grim Hunter fight, and it takes them away from the Parker homestead as Ben wakes up to find them gone. He daydreams while looking in the Peter's window before snapping out of it and swinging off the whole, wow, Peter really has a life for himself. It's a bummer I'm a clone. Oh, I'm so sad. I better go away. We cut to Seward Trainer. He's returning to his lab in New York, and which he did because he's going to help Ben after Ben called him last month. So Ben finally finds Kane and the Grim Hunter, but he's still too weak to intervene in the fight. So he passes out again. The Grim Hunter is able to get away as things are getting a little lethal, and Ben places a tracer on Kane after, you know, uh, regaining consciousness, but then passes out again. Ben returns to his apartment, only to find Seward Trainer waiting there. Seward is eager to resume the test with Ben, you know, to help cure the clone degeneration, but is taken aback when Ben tells him that Kane is also in New York. So there's some untold history between Kane, Seward Trainer, and uh, Ben Riley. By the way, Kane, he gets another vision of Mary Jane dying, and he lets out a manly Kane cry to the sky <laughs> on a very odd page. So the Grim Hunter, Kane, and the Scarlet Spider all wind up coming together in Central Park for a big brawl due to tracking each other down with sands and tracers and everything else. During the fight, Scarlet Spider starts to get the better of Kane, but eventually he loses both him and the Grim Hunter. He realizes that he has to warn Peter, he can't delay it anymore, he has to reveal to Peter that he survived the Ravencroft explosion and tell him what's going on. So after Scarlet Spider swings off, we do find out where Grim Hunter and Kane were in the park fighting each other, and Kane makes quick work of the Grim Hunter, killing him and giving him the mark of Kane as the Grim Hunter's nanny arrives to hold the dying body in his arms. Hey guys, that's it. <laughs> Thank you guys. Thank you, sir. That was a very detailed explanation of the uh, final two parts. Gerard, what did you think of this? Because I, I, I'm kind of curious to hear what, you, what your thoughts are on this one. Well, uh, first of all, i got to get a little bit of kind of business out, out of hand. Um, one of the things I noticed when I was flipping through this issue is last podcast you mentioned you gave a little bit of talk about what was going on behind the scenes, etc. 
Uh, this yeah. it was actually in this week's, I guess, Marvel Comics for the week of, I guess, the first week of February cover dated comics that they announced the change in the bullpen bulletin. Uh-huh. So I'm actually I'm actually looking at it right now. It actually mentions, and I quote: <clears throat> "So how does this reorganization shake out in terms of people? First, it's hail and farewell to Titanic Tom DeFalco, who for the past seven and a half years has been Marvel's overall editor in chief and overseen the most profitable years of the company's history." Tom has opted to return to the life of a freelance writer that his 14-year stint on Marvel staff so rudely interrupted. And then they go into this bit about describing the different group editors and things like that. So at this point, I think it's official. You can <laughs> We don't have to mention that behind-the-scenes thing all that much anymore. It happened, and this is the first uh, week's worth of issues that it you start to feel that as Budiansky is credited instead of DeFalco, etc. So anyway, about this issue... Uh, I, I kind of liked it. Um, you know, the stuff with Kane, that opening sequence I thought was pretty cool. Where he, you know he's walking away from the woman after saving her, he steps on the the photo and it cracks and stuff. I mean, it's it's kind of uh, maybe like forced, hackneyed kind of. Oh, look how badass he is! But I fell for it. <laughs> I'm a mark. Um, his first encounter with Ben Riley, of course, is an important thing. And I thought that was also handled pretty well. And the second half of the issue actually has a lot of suspense in it, where you sort of have this kind of chase thing going on, where the Grim Hunter is chasing after uh, Peter Parker, and then, you know, Scarlet Spider is chasing after him, and then Kane is chasing after him. It's actually kind of cool that way. Um, but as far as the negatives, I mean, the artwork is pretty inconsistent. This is uh, Breakdowns by Phil Gozier and Finishes by Bud De La Rosa and Randy Emberlin, not the normal team a bunch of backups, but for the record, it's also written by Todd DeZago instead of Terry Cavanaugh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, there's some really stupid stuff, like Jacob Raven, how long is his, is this thing going to take? I mean, he's been in New York for how long now, and he's just running prints, and that's probably going to take a couple of weeks, and then, you know, it just get on with it already, and then there's some kind of silly stuff with the taxi driver and, and that kind of thing, but... Overall, I, I thought it was all right. It, you know, B minus kind of story. Um, as far as the adjective list issue, uh, I'm gonna surprise everybody. I know I've hammered this series kind of hard. I've given it a bunch of like D's and F's and stuff. I'm gonna give this one an A. I liked it a lot. Um, it, really great artwork. I thought. I, I thought that it was a really great artwork. Um, the guy, the Mike Manley, who's the fill-in penciler. He has a couple of really interesting angles and stuff like that. Um, really nice illustrator overall. I was kind of surprised by that. Uh, There's there movement on a whole bunch of plots, like Kane's motivation and, you know, Seaward Trainer and all that stuff with the Grim Hunter, and it, it all comes to the fore in this issue. It was kind of quick. I mean, the two issues together probably had a lot of, you know, flotsam in there. It was kind of slow moving. But as a whole, the two issues, if they were a single issue, it would be fantastic. And I thought this issue probably had more of that kind of momentum to it. So uh, I would I would give this an A. I was surprised by how much I like it. And that, I know I've been really negative on this book, but for once, they made me a believer. Thank you, Gerard. I do appreciate that review. Uh, you know, I, uh, I have to agree with you. I think the Philan Arts uh, was, was pretty, uh, pretty serviceable for this month. Um, you know these these two uh, these two artists were fairly good. And I, I think they were the only times these two guys, particular guys, appeared throughout the rest of the Quantum Saga. So uh, this is kind of a neat uh, view of, of some serviceable artists. Um, the one thing that always has bugged me about Kane is his whole mask. Like certain artists will draw his mouth as like actual mouth instead of something that's covered. Another, you know what I'm saying? You, you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it really depends. I mean, there was a, like an arc or two ago. I think Butler actually drew it with you could see teeth underneath when he, he was yelling or something. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it's supposed to be like a mask, though. I think. See, and, and like everybody else, like Bagley and and uh, and uh, I think even Sabi Simmons drew differently. So uh, I I like that the Jacob Raven thing. Uh, we know, uh, being that we're kind of looking back at this. It is a very slow-moving plot point. Very slow. Um, I think it needed to be... 
uh, moved a little bit faster. We're not going to see anything really done with it for another, what, two months? So um, that's really okay. Oh, 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 there'll be stuff done with it in the next two months before it actually happens. He'll be going around saying, and now I'm going to do it. And then the next issue, I'm really going to do it now. Yeah. This case is almost closed. Yeah, the uh, that particular part of the uh, storyline will not reach somewhat of a conclusion for another couple months. But uh, anyway, I uh, I enjoyed the artwork. I enjoyed the story. Um, Grim Hunter was pretty much the sacrifice was offered as a sacrificial lamb by Howard Mackey simply because he didn't know what to do with the character. <laughs> so what? Less than a year after being introduced, he gets killed off. So, I mean, whoop-de-la. Less than a yeah. year? Five, like five yeah. or six issues, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, think... he was introduced, what, issue 50? Something like that, yeah. At, right? Right before yeah. the saga. So. <laughs> yeah, right before. Yeah, so. like, he, he was a fairly new character. So everyone had clearly, you know, gotten grown attached to him. His death clearly meant as much as the death that was going on in the other book this month. Yeah, clearly. Kane basically... Snaps the neck, and uh, we get the little nanny vowing revenge, never to be seen again. You know, Kane's a badass. Whoop de law. I mean, it, it, we're starting to at least we're getting plot advancement. This kind of felt really much like a filler. You know, uh, I, I felt like this was really a lot of filler. And also to note, this is also the very last time that we're going to have the split between the titles. Um, subsequently, to go, it kind of goes along with the whole. Okay, there's a power change at Marvel, so uh, the titles are going to start coming more together next month, as opposed to this month. So um, I'm going to give this a B. Uh, I wasn't terribly overly impressed, but it was serviceable, and it, and it, it like I say, it advanced everything. And I'm all for plot advancement. I don't like things to get mired down. Uh, as we'll find out more later on. But uh, Bertoni, Mister uh, Mister Rundown himself. What did you think of this? Of these issues? Well, aside from the notes that I scrambled in and out, uh, okay, well, for the web issue, the cane stomping on the photo thing, that was really very, very awesome or very, very corny. It's kind of walking the line there. Uh, ben talks about uh, the whole scent thing that I criticized last issue, and Ben actually says, you know, the Grim Hunter realized it wasn't, you know, that I wasn't Spider-Man because our scents were different because me and Peter have, you know, been off the path for five years. It's like, wait, no, like that's not what happened at all. He tracked you down because your scents were the same, and he noticed you were different for other. Wait, what? What's going on? Can are are, are the writers talking to each other? The taxi cab rescue sequence, that kind of felt like it was out of nowhere. I think that they just wanted to show Ben doing something heroic. Like yeah. Gerard said, um, Jacob Raven's taking his time. Like, every issue, he's, like, just about to make the arrest. He's really going to do it now. He's, like, psyching himself up. It was nice to see uh, Kane finally come out of the shadows and, you know, do something. You know, talk to Ben. So the web issue. Yeah, that that was probably my favorite part of the uh, of the month with Ben was actually seeing a confrontation between the two. Yes, and it, it was about time, and it feels like we're actually, like Zach said, getting some momentum on things now. Uh, I'm now generally when the titles have been split, I've always enjoyed web more than no adjective when it comes to the Ben Riley stuff, and kind of the same thing now because you know Web had the better art. There wasn't as many holes in the writing, although there was the holes. With no adjective, I love the whole cover thing, like, and one will die, which is going to be repeated a lot throughout the saga. But holy heck, first page in, and we already have a whole I'm no man statement. Now, it's really, really urgent that he tracks down Kane and the Grim Hunter. It's really urgent. He's got to do it now. It's urgent. Oh, but he has time to stare into Peter and Mary Jane's window and daydream for a whole page. And for crying out loud, like, Ben passes out every other panel in this issue keeps on passing out when did seaward trainer get ben's new address because he just shows up in ben's apartment and he's like whoa calm down first of all how'd he get in there i don't remember if that was explained in the issue because it's been about a week since i reread it and you know took the notes for the rundown but i seem to recall he just like got in there and 
we saw his conversations with Ben leading up to him coming to New York, and I don't remember him ever, you know, telling Seward his address. No, he definitely doesn't. And what's even creepier is that Seward shows up, and Ben climbs through the window and doesn't even know, like, wouldn't his spider sense warn him that there was someone in there? before? Yeah. But your spider sense only warns you if the person's dangerous, which, well, Seward, you know, that's an issue for later, though, if Seward's dangerous or not. And the death scene... It's almost a mirror of the death scene that's going to be in Web of Death, you know, where the villain dies getting killed. But, well, okay, spoiler alert. Hey, hey, hey. Okay, go ahead. It's a fearful symmetry. Ha ha. By the way, I also want to to make note uh, this particular. Right now, Nanny holding him. Like, Proctopus gets, you know, Stunner, you know, and uh, Grim Hunter gets a Nanny. By the way, I want to make. I also want to make a distinction. In this issue, uh, or Web of Spider-Man, uh, this was actually the first time we see Todd Dezengo write uh, Web of Spider-Man. He would he would actually come in post one twenty five. So it, it, over the next four months, he'll. Uh, uh, Terry Kavanaugh has pretty much two issues left <laughs> before he leaves for good. Yeah, I don't think that those uh, plot threads that he set up, like, if you remember, around the time of the Venom arc, he was setting up this plot thread about a mafia family. Don't think that that ever goes anywhere. And I'm 99.9% sure that we are never going to see Gabriel Greer again. Ben's uh, girlfriend from the hostel. Yeah. Oh, he's moved on to Betty, though. (laughs) Well... Well, he, he was all happy. He was like, I got Betty and I got Gabriel. You know, yuck, 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 that Riley luck. So, sorry, Zach. Uh, I, dude, every time I hear that, that phrase, I just want to take a bat to somebody's face. Anyway. <laughs> but overall, this was kind of enjoyable, but I'd probably, you know, take it down, you know, from the last month. I'd probably give these C pluses. Maybe B minus is C plus. Let's just say C plus. Okay, C plus. Uh, you know, I, I just love the Spider Man. I, I was really underwhelmed. I'm gonna get this uh, at a straight C. I enjoyed Web more than I did Adjectiveless. So uh, a C and a B for me. Um, Bertoni, you gave it what a, a C plus and I, a B? I get, yeah, I, I get. I, I graded the arc as a whole a C plus. So both of them C plus. We'll just do it for the sake of argument. And uh, Gerard gave it a A for uh, adjective list and a what is a C for web of B minus B minus B minus. Okay, B minus and an A. So there's our generally positive reviews. <laughs> All right, moving on to the uh, web of death. All right, and uh, bringing us into the final two issues. Well, not, not, I'm sorry, not the final two issues this month. There was an unlimited issue. Yeah. Uh, final two issues of the Web of Death arc, which featuring Dr. Octopus, Stunner, and the Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, and, and a bouncing baby uh, fetus. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, previously on Spider-Man, Dr. Octopus, you know, he has a hot hologram girlfriend. He's getting all reflective. He's like, Spider-Man's an awesome man, so I think I'm going to save his life. And Spider-Man's like... Uh, uh, the virus is going to kill me. I'm ready to die, or maybe I'm not. I don't know. I'm back from the edge. Maybe I'm not. Oh, hi, Mary Jane. Let's make out. Nothing creepy about Dr. Octopus watching, and <laughs> Mary Jane is pregnant. Prego! I'm preggers. So we open up uh, with some reaction to that news and amazing. Dr. Octopus is still spying on the Parker home. Still. Even though he returned to the lab last issue, but yeah. And he's getting all JMD Mateus-y, like, you know, getting all reflective and thinking about, you know, Spider-Man's an awesome man. Inside the house, though, Peter is reacting to the news that Mary Jane is pregnant, and he's ecstatic. He's bouncing around. I mean, he's literally bouncing around, like, you know, the walls. And he has a newfound optimism about the Aunt May situation now. He's like, wow, you know, now that... He's like, Aunt May has to live now because, you know, she's going to get to know our child. She's definitely going to be in our child's life. This is awesome. Mary Jane's pregnant. He's then briefly brought back to the reality when he remembers that he's now dying. Yeah, that kind of puts a damper on the mood. But he conceals this fact from Mary Jane when uh, 
he notices her distress. They decide to head over to the hospital and tell Aunt May via, you know, talking to her comatose body about the good news. We are privy to Mary Jane's thoughts, and she's concerned about Peter's radioactive blood harming the baby. So they see Aunt May, and they're like, hey, you gotta live now, because you gotta be in our child's life. And then we see Aunt May's, this is weird, I don't see comics do this often, but we see Aunt May's uh, thoughts via coma, like she has coma monologue, and she's, you know, talks about how she's being pulled between, you know, two worlds, basically. And no, this isn't a Miley Cyrus reference, but, you know, just like getting pulled from dying to living, which kind of uh, spits in the face of the whole retcon that's going to happen later, but we're not going to get into that. So the Parkers go to a fancy restaurant to celebrate, but Peter's fever, which he's still attempting to hide from Mary Jane, causes him to break a glass. Uh, Jacob Raven's at the restaurant. Mary Jane is surprised that Jacob Raven seems to know their name. Peter sees Dr. Octopus in the distance uh, through the window, and then he realizes that those memories of Dr. Octopus in a lab with him last issue weren't a dream. So he excuses himself to Mary Jane and to the mysterious Jacob Raven, who's also stalking them. Lots of stalkers in the Parker's life, you know, in these Clone Saga issues. So he changes to Spider-Man, and he attacks Dr. Octopus in anger, thinking that he's threatening his family. Og tells him that he's here to help and that he's found the cure. Peter eventually comes around and decides to trust him. So Stunner is in the park, testing her powers and having a general good time, knocking things over. But the voice of Kane, who's watching in the shadows, is like, stay away from Octopus, before disappearing. Dr. Octopus finally has the serum ready, but Peter's reluctant to drink it. Probably should have had Michael Bailey there, too. He could have gotten Peter to drink that in two seconds with the whole drink-it thing. Drink it. Yeah. He finally decides to drink it, and he goes into some spasms. Uh, but, but before he does, he's like, wow, I feel better already. Oh, my God. And then passes out. Dr. Octopus then has, like, this whole badass, like, you know, silent few panels where... He, you know, puts on his glasses and, like, looks on. Peter has this out-of-body experience where he encounters Nick Katzenberg, the paparazzi guy who died of lung cancer, and Aunt May. Both of their, like, you know, ghosts. Which is weird because Nick is dead and Aunt May isn't. It's like, what? How does this work? Aunt May's like, so, Peter, you should totally go into the light. Which he does. And that ends the amazing issue. We continue the story in Spectaculars. Peter's still having his out-of-body experience, and he's reunited with Uncle Ben and his real parents, who make a note to tell him, we're not clones or doppelgangers or robots. Dr. Octopus is trying to revive Peter. The serum has worked. The fever is gone, but because it took so long, he's kind of gone into heart failure. So Ock's still trying to bring him back into the real world. Harry is also in the netherworld and gets in one more gotcha, because... Harry, I guess the Neverworld is also Europe, because that's really where Harry was all this time, but regardless, I think Nick Cadensburg was late, Uncle Ben were, like, the only two dead people he ran into. So, this causes Peter to let go, wake up, and fight. And he wakes up to Dr. Octopus making out with him. He's actually giving him CPR, but, yeah, there's, like, this whole page. Dr. Octopus is giving him mouth-on-mouth. There's a... I'm sorry. I mean, let me break away from this review right now for a second to say there's this weird vibe between Auk, this whole story arc. He's talking about what a great man Peter is, how Peter's the ultimate man, how he wishes that he can be the man that Peter is, while he's rebuffing the advances of his hot girlfriend. Where where are you going? I'm I'm not reading into this. It's all there in the issue. Now, to borrow a line from Seinfeld, not that there's anything wrong with that, because I don't want to get into that whole debate on the podcast, but just, it's there in the issue. Read it in the issue. So Dr. Octopus, realizing, you know, how this is looking, he reclaims his heterosexuality by making out with Stunner, you know, later on in that scene, and then sending her off on an errand as Kane watches in the shadows. Peter and Dr. Octopus discuss their current relationship now. He's like, I won't be your bosom buddy or patrol around the city with you. So the cops come in and Otto surrenders. And he's like, does anyone care for a refreshment? I'm not going to try and fight you, cops. It turns out that Stunner had called the cops and got out of there. So, you know, she wouldn't be arrested. He realized that Peter wouldn't be in a condition to fight him. And he wanted to make things easier for Peter. So Mary Jane is finally cleaning the house, which is good because last month she did that whole thing where it's like, oh, Peter's emo, I can't clean the house while Peter's being emo. Peter returns with gifts and a baby crib, 
you know, really premature, Peter, really premature. So they build it in this montage sequence while we cut to between panels of them building the crib to stun her. She's going to rescue Dr. Octopus. That's why, that's another reason why she kind of went away during this whole arrest thing. Um, I mean, and she's thinking about how nothing can possibly go wrong. But then Kane knocks her out with some gas and frees Dr. Octopus himself. Which, uh, Dr. Octopus, when he's in the van with the cops, he's, you know, he's being all smug and everything until he sees Kane and he knows that something's gone wrong. And he's really angry. He's like, what have you done with Stunner? But it's a very brief battle and Kane gets the better of Dr. Octopus, breaks his neck, kills him and gives him the mark of Kane. Stunner awakes to find his lifeless body as she holds him in her arms and cries. And that is the end of the last Dr. Octopus story. <laughs> all right, um... George, what's your thoughts on this? Well, uh, you know, I like this a lot. Um, first of all, like I always said, Dr. Octopus is my favorite, so, yeah. Whenever Ox around, it's awesome. Uh, the, Bagley, in this particular issue, again, as always, he nails it. I mean, when... Outside of those, that weird, web, amazing Scarlet Spider thing, I mean, that's pretty much the only time during the Clone Saga that he kind of phoned it in. But this stuff is great. Um, I, I really like the whole thing with Peter and Mary Jane in the beginning. But there's this kind of wacky thing, or I wouldn't say wacky, but there's a strange thing where Mary Jane goes up to the window, and she has this kind of inside monologue. And I, I, I felt reading it like they were leaving themselves an out, just in case they wanted to undo this. And it was just very strange to read. Uh, it gave me the heebie-jeebies for some reason. But uh, anyway... That, the amazing issue was great outside of the last five pages. Oh, man, do I hate that uh, that whole thing with the soul. I mean, what is that? First of all, it doesn't make a lot of sense in light of what we know upcoming and, you know, the fact that Aunt May isn't dead, but Katzenberg is, but he sees them both. I mean, is he some kind of, in some kind of weird halfway between life and death? Is he in the netherworld? I don't know what the hell that is. So I would give that one about a B+. Plus. The spectacular issue, I would would be about on par the same, except for the fact that, boy, the artwork in this is just such a downer. I mean, it's really muddy, drab kind of colors, and it's really sketchy and stuff. I, I don't like that at all. Um, it begins with the soul, so again, uh, I like the characterization of Dr. Octopus and the fact that Peter and MJ are, you know, happy and healthy at the moment, at least. But, uh... It's, it, the strange thing about that spectacular issue is Peter kind of relegate, becomes relegated to being a supporting character. It kind of happened a little bit with Ben in that uh, adjectiveless Spider-Man issue, but it really feels bad here. Like This whole thing is almost about Dr. Octopus and Kane, and that kind of bothered me a little bit, given that, you know, the here we have Spider-Man with this really big moment in his life, and we only kind of see him basically for the first half of the issue, and then the yeah, but either way, I'll be about a B minus. It's still pretty good stuff, but a little bit off from what it's been the last couple of months, I would think. Yeah. Um, to give my two cents, I loved the amazing Bagley's artwork throughout this era of Spider-Man. Is just some I think was his best work on Amazing. Absolutely loved it. The uh, opening scene where he's literally bouncing off the walls was just fabulous. The Mary Jane bit at the window. <laughs> You know, uh, I loved the uh, internal monologue with May. I just love, I absolutely love the artwork throughout this issue. Stunner, I think, looked better with uh, Bagley drawing her than... Uh, my, my biggest problem with, with the this these two issues was really, you have such contrasting styles with Bagley and Buscema, and you really didn't used to have that before Bill came on and uh, the guy that was doing the breakdowns. So, you know, I that to me is a real downer because when Buscema's doing the breakdowns, they're very loosey goosey. It seems like, and then when Skinovich, is that you say, or Sinovich? How do you say it? Sinovich. God, Call I, I will not. You know ever. you want to do it. Uh, <laughs> I know, <laughs> son of a bitch. Uh, uh, and Give well, in to your anger. Well, you the know finishes, you want to. The finishes, I just were not that good. And, and John Clouts, 
uh, the colorists. I didn't like the, the, the very muted colors throughout this whole thing. Uh, it just when when Busema was just it felt like Busema was just phoning it in. In terms of the breakdowns, they really weren't hyper detailed. Then they really weren't that good. I just I, I don't know who I, whose idea this was to put it um, to put this uh, in spectacular, but it was a fail idea. Whatever it was, I mean, you look at you look at Musima's stuff before this era and after this era, and they're night and day. So I, I just don't like the way that they did this. Um, uh, it just didn't. It, I don't feel it fit this tone of the story. The dreamscape, uh, I'll agree, is kind of hokey. The Falco's writing, it's okay. I, you know, uh, one thing I was reading, I was rereading Life of Riley, like I do in my preparation for this podcast, and and one of the things that I I kind of stuck out at me is that is that uh, DeFalco, who's given the uh, dubious task of killing off a character that has been around for 397 issues, okay. Uh, since the third issue of, of the of core title is given the dubious distinction of having to kill him off. And by doing that, uh, you, looking at it from through that prism, you really can't see that he, w- he was very reluctant to do so. And I think that's why he waited till the very last minute of the issue to, uh, to do it and, and didn't really leave a whole lot and did it right at the end of the issue. Do you guys kind of get that vibe or what, what, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, it kind of felt that way. Um, it, I, I don't really like to read into that kind of stuff, so I don't really have much to say about that. But what, whatever, it, it is what it is. You know, I, I, one thing I did love about this entire arc was the characterization of Doc Ock. I think Bertoni's reading a little bit more into it than I than I really thought about. But I think uh, the the phrase "Who am I without my enemy?" Is the best way of describing how this how this characterization was. I think it was probably one of the better characterizations of Doc Ock that we had seen, where you know, Octavius, being the man of of such a high intelligence, I think appreciated the fact that it wasn't just some numbskull, some idiot underneath the mask. He, I think, he really appreciated the fact that he had somebody that had similar and possibly equal intellect. With with Doc Ock, and I think uh, I think this was a great way to if you're going to send a character like this out, which I, I wasn't a big fan of, um, and I'm glad he's back. But you know, yeah, I mean, that, uh, that's, I, I agree. I mean, that, that's the thing I like most about Doctor Octopus is that he's basically Peter Parker if he was raised without his aunt May and his uncle Ben. You know, they're both scientists, they're kind of similar guys, and they're both kind of nerds. Except that Doc Ock didn't have an Aunt May and an Uncle Ben to help him. So I, I think he kind of sees that in Peter. At least you, you kind of feel that. I mean, he didn't know that Peter was Spider-Man beforehand. So that is kind of reading into it a little far. But I always got felt that the other way around, that Peter and, and Dr. Octopus had that relationship because they're kind of the same guy, but in alternate universes, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, Peter could have been Dr. Octopus. If you go back and you read Amazing Fantasy 15, um, after he becomes a wrestler and before Uncle Ben dies, all in the span of, like, you know, the five pages or whatever, you can see Peter's an, Peter's an arrogant guy. You know, oh, yeah. He's talking. He's too good for A lot of people forget that, you know. Like, yeah. the original Amazing Fantasy story before, I mean, Stan says that it was supposed to be a series, you know, all along or whatever, but I think it was originally conceived as a one-off thing. I really do. Like it was, it was a moral. It was like, like an Aesop's fable. He was a, you know, he was a arrogant guy who learned his lesson and got humbled. And yeah. some of that arrogance, you could see it in Doctor Octopus. Yeah, I, I, you can see it. You can definitely see it, especially uh, in the early '90s and, and really in the uh, even in the early Dicko days. You could always see that, that that arrogance was part of his was part of his psyche. Another thing I, I wanted to kind of bring up and bring it bring the issue up is that. Uh, it seemed to me when you read this, and because there's so much death by Kane, that you have, uh, and this was actually apparently behind the scenes they were saying this, that Kane was slated to kill off some other. This is from Glenn Greenberg. Kane was slated to kill off some other Spider-Man villains as well to clear the decks a bit to make room for some new villains and to show Kane really strutting his stuff. My understanding is that Howard Mackey offered. Up the Grim Hunter is Kane's next victim. Howard introduced the victim only a short time earlier with much accompanying hype and fireworks, but I assume that Howard 
realized fairly quickly that he had really had no idea where to go with the character. So he offered up the Grim Hunter as a sacrifice to the larger storyline, and the character was pretty much forgotten after that. <laughs> In fact, the only person that actually brought him up uh, was... Um, John Mar Mateus in the uh, subsequent after post Clone Saga era, where they brought in uh, Elijah or Losha Craven. Ali Ali Osha. I don't know how you pronounce it. I think it's, yeah. I think I've heard Demandus pronounce it or Demateus pronounce it Aliasha. Aliasha. Okay, so Aliasha Cravenoff, who ended up becoming Craven Two uh, for reals. Craven Two Point Yeah. Um, uh, that's the only time we've actually mentioned the Grim Hunter, but that pretty much backs up the theory that uh, Kane was going around pretty much doing, trying to clear the decks for uh, uh, the Spider-Man characters, and really, and they were using the uh, the visions of Mary Jane to do so. So that's a kind of a little bit behind the scenes tidbit that uh, some people might not know about when they're reading this. But uh, apparently, there was more guys that were going to be killed off. But I think this is the last of uh, the characters that Kane actually killed. Am I correct? Like villains of the uh, classic villains. Um, he's going to kill. I think he kills some more in the Maximum Clonage storyline, but it's nobody important. I think we're going to see a few more Kane murders. It, it's some of these I have fresh in my mind. Some of these it's been a while. Yeah, and uh, you know it was funny that they were. <laughs> Uh, you could tell this was the 90s because there was actually, and, they, and Glenn Greenberg also talks about this, he says, uh, there was a lot of talk of K- about Kane at this point, his future potential as a franchise character. There were discussions about possibly spinning him off eventually into his own title the way Venom had been. But uh, Tom Brevoort and I privately agreed that a character as brutal and murderous as Kane had been portrayed had had been portrayed up to that point could not possibly be or easily be re- rehabilitated and suddenly made into a protagonist. Despite this initial sales success of Venom's solo book, it left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth that Venom was now being portrayed as like something of a quote-unquote good guy. So, Yeah, in the 90s, everyone got their own series. If you look around the time the Clone Saga started, I think we were just ending like a Prowler and a Black Cat miniseries that had just run concurrently. Yeah. Which is nothing against Prowler and the Black Cat, but that just, you know, like now it's... You have to, like, do campaigns to get people series. Back in the 90s, it was like, you know, Aunt May could have gotten her own series if someone had the yeah, idea. Yeah, they were going to, they were, at, I, I heard there was talks of doing it in a Golden Oldly uh, miniseries. <laughs> it was the Herald of Galactus. Yeah. That was a I what if, it. right? It wasn't a what if. It was uh, a Marvel team up, but, like, the Marvel team up issue was a dream by, I want to say, Franklin Richards. No, no, I thought it was a dream that Peter had when he ate too many wheat cakes. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Wait, yeah, I think that Aunt May teams up with Franklin Richards. Yeah, 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 that, 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 that was it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, because how, how the heck would Franklin Richards back then know who even know who Aunt May was? I know he's, like, all-powerful, but... Yeah, anyway, so, um, yeah, this was back during the day when we had super saturation in the markets. Um, everybody was getting a miniseries, um... And uh, there, I mean, there's probably what six or seven miniseries alone in the clone in the Clone Saga period. Yeah, one starting uh, next month. Funeral for an Octopus, yeah. which pretty much picks up the pieces from um, the Web of Death storyline. So, um, to get my final grades on those two issues, I was going to give them both, and I'm going to give uh, a plus to Amazing, and really a solid B minus. I mean. The artwork was drugged down that bad. Now, ironically enough, um, two months from now is going to be, yeah, two months from now is going to be my my actual when I first got my first issue of the Clone Saga, my very first comic ever, and uh, it looked a lot better then. But th- this issue just no fail. So, I mean. I'm going to give the artwork a D, but the writing was A. So it was really well done, even though I think John Favreau was really reluctant to do. That's my final grades. Bertoni, what do you think? I think, therefore, I am. Well, I like this a lot better than this Back from the Edge and other stuff that we've been getting in, you know, for the Peter Parker section of the Clone Saga. Mary Jane's hair is just crazy by Bagley in those first few pages. It's like there's some sort of, like, uh, animal... Resting on her head. It's like real. I know that she had big hair in the 90s, but good lord. 80s and 90s, bud. 80s and 90s. Yeah. 
Okay, so Aunt May talking in her coma. I, I came up with the theory when I was talking about this. I think it was with Gerard. I was like, oh, no, yeah, that's still the actress, you know, the, the genetically altered actress that Norman Osborn, like, had to pretend to be Aunt May. She's just method acting. Oh, God. She's, she's method acting. Uh, Peter, when he's not sure if the antidote's real or fake, if only he had some sort of sixth sense that would warn him when he's in danger. That would be really useful. I mean, for it's not like his spider sense is an obscure power that, like, it's okay if they forget about it, I mean. But the spider sense, it's forgotten many times throughout the saga. Now, that ghost Aunt May, or the ghost actress, or the aberration in Peter's mind, whatever the heck it was, it gives Peter that Peter Pan quote, like, you know, first starlight, straight on till morning. Uh, that's going to come back in a big way in about two issues. So be yeah. prepared for that. It's going to come back in a really big way. Uh, for, the, for the spectacular, hey, the whole thing about Harry in the netherworld now, I'm just going to come out and say, I mean, I always assume that they leave these things up in the air if, if Peter's really dying or if this is just all in his head. I think we can just assume that this is all in his head. Um, like Zach said, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into this uh, thing about Dr. Octopus, but it's really all there. Okay, it's it, it's there in this arc. I swear, he spends all the time talking about how awesome Spider-Man is. I mean, it, it's there. Maybe I took it too far with the whole CPR thing. Yeah, he was giving him CPR, but ah, I love the Doctor Octopus smugness um, when he's in the police car waiting for Stunner to rescue him. Just his attitude, that whole issue. This was some of the best Doctor Octopus. Like they got his character down flat. Yeah, the fact that he died. Um, and was brought back. It doesn't really bother me so much as other death and resurrections do. Like, I think that the Harry Osborn one had its purpose and everything. Um, and I'm, you know, still a little iffy on him being brought back. The Dr. Octopus one, it's not like his death was something that was being built to for months and it was the only logical step for the character and stuff like that. So him coming back, you know, it's, it, but it does kind of spin the fade. The last Dr. Octopus Spider-Man story. Now, those are my quibbles and everything like that, and my little notes of interest with the story. It was good. Uh, and the Bagley art is awesome. Not really liking, you know, the what Bill Sienkiewicz is doing, or Bill Son of a Bitch, as we prefer in Spectacular. But the story is good. And I'm giving these both solid A-pluses. Wow. Well, thank you, thank you, Bertone, uh, for that for that fabulous, fabulous review of... Uh... Of death. Now we're going on to the uh, the issue that everybody's so excited to review. Yay! Spider-Man Unlimited number eight, which was written by Tom Lyle. Now he's like, and uh, art by Ron Lim. Now Ron Lim was kind of the guy that did all the unlimited issues for the most part. And uh, <laughs> this guy, Tom Lyle, was basically who was the artist for for uh, Adjective of Spider-Man, was promised the writing duties on Unlimited. And so he's been given this his ability to kind of stretch his, flex his muscles. And it features both uh, Peter and uh, Ben Riley together in an issue. First time that they've been together. It, uh, but they don't actually interact with each other. Bertoni, explain. Give us a rundown. Okay, well, this issue is about 59 pages, but even though it's 59 pages, it's only like, you know, uh, 40 panels in the whole issue. I don't even know how that's possible. That's actually an exaggeration, but the panels are really, really big on the pages. Yeah, there's like, a lot of splash pages on this one. Lots of splash pages. Like, I read this in no time. We're not doing our usual scene-by-scene -scene rundown because, frankly, this thing isn't worth the effort. It's not part of the main storyline, and... It's long. It sucks. <laughs> but terrorists attack the World Trade Centers. We get that homeless guy from the last Unlimited issue that made friends with Ben Riley. He's like, hey, Ben, remember me? I'm really turning my life around now. I got a job. Oh, I'm not being set up as a sacrificial lamb at all. Oh, wait, yes, I am, because he dies during the course of the terrorist attack. <laughs> Mary Jane is in the World Trade Center for this attack, so both of the Spider-Man are acting independently of each other, trying to stop this, while Ken Ellis is trying to figure out why a Scarlet Spider cares about homeless people, and then the, we get the moral of the story that homeless people are people too, as Ken Ellis writes his human interest story. I mean, basically, you know, Ben stays out of Peter's way. He sees Peter, but Peter doesn't see him, because Peter still isn't aware that Ben's still alive, 
Oh, we later find out that Peter knew he was just in denial. And they both talk about what it means to be a hero. Homeless people are awesome, but they, they're killed by terrorists. And yeah. Mary Jane is an idiot with big hair. Yeah, this 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 was such fail. Veil doesn't, doesn't even begin to describe how bad this issue was. By far one of the worst books to come out uh, of the probably the last, at least, I mean, Tom Lyle does not need to write, okay? And this was kind of the best, I mean, this, this title, if you remember, was set up during the uh, Maximum uh, Carnage era to, to be the catalyst for... Uh, Maximum Carnage, and if you read issue one and issue two, you pretty much read the whole story of Maximum Carnage. Um, then issue three, you know, actually goes into uh, the origin of Doctor Octopus. Issue four was what a Mysterio story. Issue five was uh, Spider-Man Human Torch team up. Issue six was Thor and, or was Thunderstrike, and then we start getting the Clone Saga. And we got backups, you know, with with such awesome characters like Cardiac, who was awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This series Very nineties, and then who, who else? Was there another backup? Oh, there issue? was like backups within backups. Let me, let me. I'm pulling the issue up right now. I'm pulling it out of my box. They're so forgettable. I mean, I mean, nothing, nothing really dramatic actually happened. We do get our first blonde Ben Riley, but it's a coloring error. Ben Riley when he's running into the homeless guy who everyone forgot about. It's like, oh, this guy's back. Ben Riley's blonde. And yeah. Ken Alice, he's a pretty new character, but they're really pushing his role. Now, there's a really stupid scene where the terrorists, they shoot this guy because this kid's asking to go to the bathroom. And Mary Jane, oh my god, the absurdity of this, I can't believe I'm about to say this. Mary Jane goes up to the terrorist because she's an idiot, and she's like, uh, excuse me, Mr. Terrorist, that wasn't a nice thing to do. So the terrorist is like, oh, I'm sorry. Does this make you feel better? And then the terrorist shoots one of his own teammates, and he's like, "There, that evens the odds a little bit." What? 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 what no! What, what's going on? <laughs> now, one thing that is notable in Spider-Man for you know those longtime fans in this issue, Spider-Man, or was it Ben? I don't remember. But one of them, while they're dealing with the terrorist helicopters webs it in between the World Trade Centers. For those of you... It was Peter. Yeah. Which is uh, very reminiscent of a certain movie trailer that had to get pulled because of 9-11. It's available all over YouTube, though. Look up the Spider-Man World Trade Centers uh, trailer. So that that was very... That was a very interesting parallel. But, oh, we had the homeless BS again. But that was just the stupidest scene ever. The, Mr. Terrorist, you shouldn't be shooting people. Okay, bam. I shot my teammate. Does that make you feel better? Because this makes absolute sense at all. Yeah, this was just this was this was absolute fail. Um, I'm gonna give it an A. <laughs> it's an F. Okay, oh, yeah. if it ever deserved one. Yeah, this was this was pretty much failed. I mean, even the artwork was merely okay. Well, I mean, I'm looking at the credits right now. They had four inkers on this book. Four. Yeah. I mean, like four different inkers. That, that's well, usually those a good sign. so big, you need all the help you can get. <laughs> well, you get 59 freaking pages. I know, what the hell would it think? But you know what's weird? You know, he mentioned that there's so many big panels, and you always talk about how Tom Lyle wanted to write, and he wanted to be an image guy. This is totally an image-style comic. I mean, every other page is a splash page. You've got, like, you know, two panels, three panels to a page on sometimes. I mean, what a waste of space. I mean, if you're going to put 59 yeah. pages, get 59 pages of story. This is like a 20-page yeah. issue spread out over 59 pages. Yeah, literally, I mean, okay, the first two pages have a grand total of one, two, three, four panels. The second, the, uh, on the first page, the second page has three. The third page has four. The fourth page is a full splash. The fifth page, I think, has the most of the issue. And you have uh, uh, Ben Riley's blonde hair. And uh, there's like, what? There's five panels there. There's six. There's six panels on the next page. A full splash page. Uh, five, six panels on the next page. Uh, six panels on the next page. Three panels. One big splash. Uh, two, two, two panels, but one like it's a splash page with a panel inset. 
inside of it. Uh, you got. Uh, yeah, it just uh, goes on like this too. I mean, just, oh, oh. this this is literally Im- Spider-Man meets Image. Uh, both both the Ben and Spider-Man have at least two big splash pages. Let, there's like a page of, page of Spider-Man swinging, and then there's a page of him climbing. Both splash pages. Let, let's do a dramatic reading of page 19. Back inside the Skyline restaurant. What's that man doing? Oh, excuse me, sir, but I was wondering if my son might be able to use the restroom. It's getting kind of urgent. Don't bother me, bub. Bam. Ugh. He shot him. He just shot him. This man needs a doctor. Is anyone here a doctor? Why, he shoot me. One of your bullying drones just shot a helpless man over there. He needs medical attention now. Whoa, scary. And you want what for who? Don't play games with me. There's a man dying over there, and it's your fault. And you should get him to a doctor soon. I don't think that's going to be possible, my dear. But would you settle for this? Kapow! As the terrorist shoots the other terrorist. Now, that should even things out. Everyone should be happy. Happy? I suppose I should be happy that he didn't shoot me. I'm beginning to wonder if any of us are going to get out of here alive. Uh, <laughs> this is just so terrible. Oh my god. The mission, that's the mission that Rich Gannon was headed up, headed for that's been blown up. How? Why? I've got to get this rubble out of the way, see if anyone needs help. This old man, he's still alive. Maybe no one's killed after all. As the Scarlet Spider works furiously to clear away the debris, one question burns brightly in his thoughts. Where is Rich Gannon? He's playing on the, uh, I think he was playing on the 49ers. No, he was from the Vikings. Vikings. Oh, he's back in the Vikings. Okay. <laughs> the answer the answer comes all too soon. Rich! He's dead. Dead. Oh, the next page even is even better. <laughs> Why this man? Why this Why? man? <laughs> this man? This mission? What's going on here? Oh, someone, please help. Someone's alive down there. A young girl, she's unhurt. No more distractions until I've checked everywhere for survivors. Can you tell me what happened here? Some sort of missile. They came one of the from one of the trade center towers. Hey, Spider, it's Skinellis. Help me out here. What's going on? I guess he didn't hear me. <laughs> oh, playing. He really didn't say the F word. Oh, yeah. And you won't either, because that's going to be bleeped out. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> what a, oh man, this that, is terrible. That, you know that that bit with the. Uh, the Scarlet Spider doesn't hear Canellus please. He can't hear anything except for Rich Gann's voice and his own voice, both demanding justice for the senseless death. <laughs> who wants to do the Who wants to do the reader? One of us will be yeah, Peter. What page, what, 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 what page is it? Page 50. While you're finding it, I'll do the top half with Peter, and then you can do... Well, you stop a nuclear terrorist, save a reporter from himself. You do all this for nothing? So, what's your point? What's your motivation, Spider-Man? Rye, risk your neck for us, because I care. That's all. I'll, I'll do the bottom. I'll do the bottom. <laughs> all right, Thanks, right, guys. Go. You can have him. By the way, the detonators are webbed up and hidden in the air vent just outside the hall. Thanks for your help, Spider. I don't know if you could do why you do this stuff, but I guess we all have our reasons for what we do. I risk my neck because I care, and that's all there is to it. Get it? Get it? Because they're clones. Get it? Get it? They're the same, so they say the same thing. Oh. I care. It's simple. We care. All right. That, that, bit with, that bit with the elevator shift, was I the only one that immediately thought of Die Hard when I saw that? <laughs> it, it, like, it's, it's, it's like Die Hard. Die Hard meets Spider-Man, only worse. <laughs> yeah, because the Die Hard was good. That's the difference. <laughs> oh. Made of ass. And... and, and and Peter and Mary Jane, like, whispering to each other, like, I love you, you know, and, like, stuff like this. Like, I'll be home, darling, later. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. She's talking to the kid. Never mind. Yeah. And that's her thought. <laughs> this is fail. <laughs> this is all sorts of fail. <laughs> we need to do more dramatic readings in future podcasts. And, well, unless gonna, people just hate them. There's going to be plenty of awful stuff for us to do, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, Smoke and Mirrors is coming up. Oh God! Which I'm confused. That's probably the most convoluted, confusing storyline. Those two, uh, Players and Pawns and Smoke and Mirrors. Those two just really were just 
were awful. Yeah, I was saying before we started recording, I know who's the clone and who isn't. I know who Kane really is. I know who the third Peter part. I mean, I know the answers to all these questions, and I'm still confused at what the heck is going on. <laughs> well, that wraps up our reviews for the month. Uh, we're now moving on to the uh, voicemails, which the number for the voicemails, to leave a voicemail, I'm sorry, is... 206-339-5570. And remember, specify which cl- which podcast you're talking about because there's multiple ones that are left on that voicemail. Yeah. So, and if uh, you wanna, oh, go ahead. I, I have the books in front of me, so I was going to say what the list was. Or did you have something to say? Well, go ahead. Sorry, and, yeah, and if you want to read ahead to know what we're going to be discussing on the next podcast, it's going to be uh, Smoke and Mirrors, which is where the Clone Saga steps up a big ante and the first part of uh, Players and Pawns. Which, uh, that's going to run in Web of Spider-Man, issue 122, Amazing Spider-Man, issue 399, and No Adjective Spider-Man, issue 56, and Players and Pawns, part one is uh, Spectacular Spider-Man 222. We also had that month, uh, Funeral for an Octopus, but that was a little disconnected from the other Clone Saga. We're going to kind of cover that, a uh, whole miniseries in one episode in a Clone Saga cleanup episode that we'll either do on a slow week or after we're done with the main storyline. And uh, now to get to our voicemails. To actually, what our voicemail... We actually have one voicemail that was left. We need more. Do more. Send us more. I gotta and, start threatening people again. Yeah, I know. Uh, also, please... Uh, you also send us emails letting us know who you are because apparently some people are like, hey, they left a voicemail and, and uh, we had no idea who it was. So, and it, which, which show he was actually talking about, so we didn't include him on the last episode. But uh, if you send a voicemail and you didn't hear it back on the show, that's why. Please specify. Uh, you can send an email to us at clonesagachronicles at gmail.com, which is actually fixed. It was not working last week. I don't know why. But uh, anyway, the, uh, uh, the first voice, the one and only voicemail we got is... Uh, Dealing with a particular character that we have not touched upon yet. Hey, uh, Clone Sire Chronicles. Um, don't kill any more dogs. Uh, Merry Christmas, by the way. I really enjoy the show and just uh, figured I'd bring up the uh, issue you brought up of a uh, spider side where his head gets knocked off and he talks about how, oh, I'm dead and I'm just going to bring myself, but wait, I could just bring myself back together. That was actually one of the very first issues I actually got of Spider-Man, so um, the Clone Saga has always been really close. It's been a, it's a really close story, the Spider-Man that I've always enjoyed, and specifically the issue introduced me to two of my favorite comic book characters ever, Scarlet Spider and Kane. I just wanted to bring up, uh, I really do miss the old Kane outfit from the Clone Saga, and I never really dug the bearded one that showed up in uh, Spider-Girl, I thought he was all right, and I was hoping when he showed up in Amazing that he'd have the costume or something like it and whatnot. kind of thought it was weird that, you know, I could maybe, I could see the whole, like, ridiculously long-haired one for the uh, flashback, but I don't know. I've always, you know, I've always really enjoyed his old costume. Um, oh, thanks. I really enjoyed the show. Don't, don't kill me animals anymore so uh have a good christmas bye hey dude thanks for calling in uh we do appreciate it concerning k not having his costume read the miniseries spider-man redemption came out towards the end of the clone saga and that explains why uh kane went from the purple guy who rocked the purple and pink to the uh scary hobo rob zombie version that we ended up seeing amazing which is the best way of describing that, that character, by the way. <laughs> and also why he looks that way in Spider-Girl. All right? Okay, now that about wraps this up, guys. Is there any New Year's resolutions you guys want to make while we're on the show? Getting the podcast edited and out uh, about as quickly as I did the first few episodes. Yeah? Mine's uh, to eventually have near daily updates on Spider.com. What about you, Gerard? Uh, my resolution resolutions to be less bitter and angry, and I've already failed. 
because of today's news. I failed. Sorry. Today's news was concerning the uh, the announcement that they've canceled Spider-Man 4 and are just going to reboot the franchise. Which, the way that the news has been going all week, where there's been a new development, oh, it's going to be 2012, or oh, we fired the script writers, oh, it's going to be the Vulture, oh, it's this. By the time you hear this podcast, we'll probably be like six new developments later. Yeah. I mean, uh, the news has been swirling for the past, what, two weeks? Really starting to get uh, intensified, especially particularly with the Disney. I think it's starting to be becoming more intensified with Disney deal going through with Marvel. And uh, uh, it, it went through on the 31st of December. So, Happy New Year to you guys uh, at Marvel. And Happy New Year to you guys as well. Uh, we'll have another show up with those particular issues that uh, we're going to mention. So, if you want to read ahead, send us a voicemail. Do so, and we'll hope to see you back in a couple of weeks. Oh, oh.